Oh, it's getting really good now. Here we are in the month of March, and welcome into the nation's college basketball show and podcast. It is college basketball coast to coast. I am your mostly capable host, somewhat rested right now, but it's not going to be pretty over the next few days, next couple of weeks. With the madness, the mayhem, the March to March has now gotten us to the month And I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with the end of the regular season for a lot of conferences, but the start of conference tournament play and championship games and automatic bids going out for the NCAA tournament. 32 automatic bids will go out. 36 more will go into the field at large for the 2020 NCAA Men's Division I Championship, better known as the dance, the the March Madness, the bracket. Uh, We'll see how it all unfolds. So anyway, great that you found us here on College Basketball Coast to Coast. I'm enlisting the help of some usual guests. You will hear later in the program from Mark Wise, former Purdue and South Florida assistant, my longtime analyst. Uh, not only with SiriusXM, but also Fox Sports Radio and TuneIn. And on this show and this podcast, College Basketball Coast to Coast, Mark will be with us getting ready to work SEC Showdown midweek, LSU and Arkansas. Arkansas probably on the outside looking in right now. Got to beat LSU, got to win some other games. LSU trying to secure their spot in the conference tournament help their standing where they currently are. We'll talk with Mark about that game. Uh, And then we've got some other interesting things. Uh, I want his thoughts on a conference um, that is not being talked about enough. And then Mark's got his three wise men. Who are those going to be? Coaches, players, athletic directors, um, administrators of some kind, former players, etc. Look forward to hearing from Mark on those. Towards the end of the podcast, it's time to talk the bracket with the guy that blogs the bracket. Bloggingthebracket.com's Chris Daubertine from the SB Nation family of sites and coverage of college basketball. Chris is back on with who's in right now, who's out on several teams. If you are curious about your UCLA Bruins, about your Texas Longhorns, about your Redcast Scarlet Knights, uh, about your Purdue Boilermakers. Uh, what about East Tennessee State? Do they have a case at large out of the Southern Conference? Does Utah State have a case in the Mountain West? They're playing the Mountain West tournament later this week, championship game on Saturday night. So what what does Chris think about those uh, opportunities for East Tennessee State or Utah State to still get in at large in the NCAA tournament? We'll ask him. We'll talk with him about that. And straight ahead, uh, we're going to go up to the Motor City, to Detroit, to Rock City, uh, the home of obviously Big Ten country in college basketball and the Michigan Wolverines and the Michigan State Spartans are the two teams that are around there. Dan Leach, 97 won the ticket. The all-sports station in uh, Detroit is where he resides. He does a lot of different work on weeknights and on weekends. Uh, knows the game of college basketball inside and out. Want to talk lots of Big Ten, lots of Michigan with him, but also Dan Big with the Horizon League. Uh, as well. This is the league, obviously, with Wright State and Northern Kentucky, as well as UIC, University of Illinois, Chicago, Cleveland State, Detroit. Uh, Dan uh, Leach, the former voice of the Detroit Titans in this league, Oakland University, uh, Youngstown State. They're all going to be competing in the Horizon League Championship. And by the way, it's a good time to mention, I'll be broadcasting along with Mark Wise on TuneIn, the Horizon League Championship game next Tuesday night, next Tuesday night in 
Indianapolis, Indiana, will it be Wright State going for a third NCAA tournament bid in four years? Will it be Northern Kentucky who got in there a year ago uh, as the, uh, or actually two years ago as the champ? Will they get in uh, to the NCAA tournament? Uh, so uh, will it be somebody else that pulls the upset? We'll be in Indianapolis for that championship game next Tuesday night. Exclusive coverage on TuneIn and their mobile app of the Horizon League Championship. Dan Leach and I will talk Horizon League coming up straight ahead. And we'll also talk some. It is an eerie anniversary here in the middle of this week. 30 years ago this week, the death of Loyola Marymount star Hank Gathers, leading the nation in scoring and rebounding. If you're a fan at all that's older, you know something about this story and I can't say enough how I was captivated with that LMU team as a college student in Memphis. Their run-and-gun style, their three-point shooting, and then obviously the tragedy that befell them when Gathers collapsed on the court and died right in front of everybody on the home floor at Loyola Marymount in Southern California in the Los Angeles suburbs. A uh, horrific scene that then translated into a, a, uh, a phenomenal inspired run by the Lions of LMU in the NCAA tournament 1990. We'll talk with Dan Leach about that. Chris Daubertine will have thoughts about that later on in the show. Of course, the 1990 tournament eventually won by Jerry Tarkanian's UNLV running Rebels. And they beat Loyola Marymount in the regional finals. So uh, anyway, I'll talk with Dan Leach about all of those subjects straight ahead. Then Mark Wise uh, with me in the middle. Chris Daubertine, bloggingthebracket.com to close out the show. A reminder, subscribe to this podcast, however you found us, through a social media link, uh, through Chris linking to us on bloggingthebracket.com or the SB Nation family of sites. However you came up with this show, follow us and find us. Subscribe on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Spreaker, wherever you find your podcast. Jump aboard uh, and subscribe to College Basketball Coast to Coast because we're going to have many more of these shows in and around Championship Week, Recap Mode, Preview Mode, in and around the NCAA Tournament, the three great weekends, Preview Mode, Recap Mode, show after show, and they will come automatically to your handheld device, to your phone, to your iPad, however you listen to those podcasts. Get a ding automatically when there's a new edition of College Basketball Coast to Coast, and there will be frequent ones upcoming here throughout March, before the tournament games, after the tournament games, as things are ongoing, all the way through the Final Four in Atlanta. We will be live at the Final Four in Atlanta uh, as well on College Basketball Coast to Coast, but the easiest way to get the show is subscribe uh, to College Basketball Coast to Coast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, etc. Go to Spreaker as well in the Spreaker mobile app. Just search College Basketball Coast to Coast. We're right there. Subscribe and the show will come automatically to you. All right. With all of that being said, let's get to our guest. Let's get to the conversation. Time to whittle this thing down. Who's going to get the automatic bid? Who's going to get the at-large bid? Uh, in, in all these different conferences, there's 36 at-large bids to go around. Who's in? Who's out? Time to debate it as the regular season is winding down and championship tournaments are getting underway later this week and this weekend. Let's get to the discussion here on College Basketball Coast to Coast. Been looking forward to this. I know it is March. I know it is the time when my man Dan Leach hops on the College Basketball Coast to Coast podcast. Love his insight. He's on 97-1, the ticket, uh, the big-time sports. 
sports station in Detroit, in the Motor City. I loved being with him a year ago on the air for the Horizon League uh, tournament, including uh, watching Wright State and Northern Kentucky duke it out uh, for another year in that conference. And lo and behold, Wright State is right back there again. Now they've moved Dan Leach, the Horizon League championship. I don't get my Dan Leach fix. They've moved it to Indianapolis for next week, but yeah. I, but I get my fix on the phone here uh, via, via the technology with you nonetheless. Good to be with you, my friend. Happy March. You as well. It, it just doesn't seem right. And by the way, we I was told it was the highest rated radio <laughs> call in history of basketball. All, all I know, I, all I know is we were doing semifinal Monday night, you and I, and you kept saying the Northern Kentucky Oakland game, Oakland University, uh, right out of the suburbs of Detroit, was going to come down to a yeah. buzzer beater. You kept saying it. You didn't. You didn't know which way it was going to go. My God, you called the buzzer beater, the Drew McDonald buzzer beater, like a few minutes before it happened. So I, I bow to you and your uh, and your march awareness and your march presence uh this is what it's all about all right so you've been good are you you, uh, properly rested caffeinated ready with multiple screens and everything that we've got to do for the next like month of all these games championship week and then three weekends of the ncaa tournament are you ready no it's funny you say that because i'm in the dtm prediction sasquatch compound four (laughs) screens in front of me i can't get enough talent tubes and and listen you know i'm a big ten country so you've got this michigan state team that's Start to look final four worthy, even though I hate them. Uh, I'll respect them and hate them. And you got my Michigan Wolverines that can't seem to beat Ohio State in any mm. sport. But it is such, as you know, and we love this, there's nothing like March. I mean, look at Clemson getting by. Florida State by a scotch to keep their tournament hopes alive. All You know, UCLA coming out of nowhere yep. and winning seven in a row. There are so many great games going on right now for the next month or so. It doesn't get any better. I love it. Uh, you mentioned, all right, so it's fresh. I don't mean to poke the bear with a stick, but Michigan, Ohio State, it was quite the battle. And there were there were scoring runs after scoring runs after scoring run, and Ohio State finally put together the last one, including a couple of banked-in three-pointers. I don't yep. know if their eyes were open or not, but they're banking in three-pointers late in the shot clock to help put the game away and, and uh, complete the sweep of the Wolverines. Uh, all right, so give me some quick analysis out of that. How much do we make of that? How much do we credit Ohio State? How much do we say that Michigan didn't get it done when they had gotten the lead in Columbus? Well, I think it's, it's a, the, the very most important question is why can't Michigan get these games when, you know, they, they blew their opportunity a few weeks ago at Chrysler. They were without Livers. I think Livers is the best player. But when you allow all Ohio State starters to be in double figures, including 14 each from the West and with them, and 20 from Washington, and you mentioned the threes. They had 11 of 21. The Wolverines could buy a three if they wanted to. There's seven of 26. So how much do you buy into it? You buy into it, uh, you know, a decent amount. Because Michigan is the kind of team, they're much different with Isaiah Livers. They just got Eli Brooks back wearing that Bane from Batman type mask with his broken <laughs> nose. But, T.J., I, I, I look at it like this. The Wolverines have a first-year head coach. They, they're Half the time they're playing beeline offense, backdooring, pricked to the hell, the other time, half the time they're playing this aggressive Juwan Howard, Howard Fab Five, NBA-style type offense. They're still figuring out who they are. The good news is, if you're a Michigan fan, is they've got a ton of talent. Xavier Simpson had a career high a couple of games ago. He was incredible against Purdue. You look at what um, you know the Wolverines have been able to do when they're at their best, winning the battle for Atlantis, beating teams like North Carolina, Gonzaga, Creighton, and others. 
But right now they're, they're kind of in this lull where they need to figure out what they're going to be when it matters most come tournament time. They're firmly in the tournament. So don't worry about that. But the, the, the key for me is can they get a guy like little brother Franz Wagner, Hans and Franz, Mo Wagner's brother, uh, <laughs> can they get him to keep doing what he's been doing at 18 against the Buckeyes? Eli Brooks is a key for downtown. He's got to hit his threes. And then as I mentioned, Xavier Simpson, or as we call him here, Jeff Jackson, if you remember the fake name he gave the police after the accident, uh, Xavier Simpson has been incredible. So it really comes down to what kind of team they are going to put out on the court and feel like they are when these games matter most. They're going to beat Nebraska on the fifth. The game of Maryland is going to be very tough, but it's all about what they can get going in the Big Ten tournament, get hopefully no worse than a, a five or a six seed if they win a couple games here, and they've got a chance to make a little run. I Before the season, TJ, I expected Michigan to maybe get in and win one game. Obviously, that changed after the win in the battle of Lattice, those three wins uh, in three days, but they're still a very talented team. They're very scary right now on the wrong side of scary because they're not playing up to the potential. Interesting. Um, uh, they will finish with Nebraska on Thursday, as again, this podcast lives throughout the week. Nebraska at home, and then final regular season game will be Sunday at Maryland. Interesting that Maryland may very much need that game for a share of at least of the Big Ten championship, if not the outright Big Ten title and the number one seed. Michigan could be in a place in a position to potentially mess that up. Just interesting how that's going to finish at College Park. Let's see before the Big Ten tournament if Michigan can bow up and maybe upset Maryland and, and ruin their hopes of sharing the Big Ten title, Dan Leach. Yes, and the Big Ten, eight teams in the top 25, by far the best conferences we know. And, and you look at Michigan State, who was able to take down Maryland uh, a couple days ago, which I, I thought was not going to happen. Maryland already beat them at the Brunson Center, and you mentioned right now, they're still at the top of the conference, Maryland, at 13-5. and five. But the Wolverines will be playing spoiler there. And can Michigan go into College Park and not fear the turtle? Absolutely. But it's, it's, there's so many different factors when you look at what Maryland can give you with Cowan Jr. and Jalen Smith. I know we're going to get into the Michigan State here, uh, my mortal enemy, with what Cassius Winston and Tillman, and, and guys like Rocket Watts off the bench are getting done for Michigan State right now. But the, the good news is if you're a Big Ten fan, they're probably getting 10 teams in. They've got at least four or five teams that can make post-Sweet 16 runs. And I just hope Michigan, uh, in their merit, can get their act together when it matters most as we're getting towards the tournament. They, they could beat any one of these teams. They've done it. If you would have told me after Michigan beat Michigan State and destroyed them a couple weeks ago, and then Michigan State lost three or four, they'd be a game out of first place to win the regular season going into their final couple of games, I would have told you were crazy. But that's the Big Ten. Penn State was going to be on the inside track to win the regular season. They've lost the, you know, two of the last three. So it's, it's, everyone is alive right now, but I feel like when you look at this, this conference, life on the road is hell, and life against these teams is hell. So it's been very interesting to watch. I know it's going to be a lot of fun in that Big Ten tournament. Hopefully Michigan can get one of those, the four buys other than the double buys. They've got to find their, their best chance to get through that tournament, at least to the semis. All right, and again, Michigan State Final Four worthy a year ago. Winston back as the floor leader. We'll see how it works out for them. You mentioned Jawan Howard, and, and in all honesty, I've never really dealt with him because he's primarily been in the NBA and an NBA uh, player and coach. 
in lightness here. You've dealt with him now as the Michigan coach in and around Wolverine games, etc. You've heard him be interviewed. You've probably interviewed him yourself. How how has he handled all of this? What uh, how impressed are you with Jawan Howard back as the coach of the Wolverines? Well, this this is the thing that I love about Jawan Howard. Jawan Howard is passion incarnate, and this is a guy that lived it. This is a guy like you know you have a lot of coaches. Hey, Tom Izzo is a good example at Michigan State. You know, was Tom Izzo an athlete in high school and, and played pickup ball when he got older? Sure. But he didn't play for the Fab Five. He didn't play in Final Fours. He didn't, you know, play in the NBA for decades. doesn't mean that he's not a good coach. He's a great coach. But Jawan Howard lived it. So when you look at these 18 through 22-year-old kids, they look at him as, as a god. And, and that's obviously that it's not what it's all about. But based on what I've seen from this guy, he loves the game. He loves his kids. And he's inspiring these guys to play the best they can. And, yes, does he have a lot of learning to do? Of course he does. Is his in-game management style going to take some time to get his sea legs under him? For sure it is. But when you see some of the moments, especially the win against Michigan State a few weeks ago, and what they did in that tournament in, in, in the Bahamas, you can already see this guy in his first ever head coaching job. And you mentioned he's with the Heat for years. And I actually used to call, as you know, the Horizon League, his son Juwan Howard Jr.'s game. And he used to always come to at least – one or two games a year surprise him. He's always been connected to basketball. So if I had to give him a grade right now, his grade's an A. Because most people thought this team was going to miss the tournament. They would struggle. He wouldn't know what to do with his first head coaching job. Yes, there's been bad moments this year and, and times where you've wondered if he's kind of ready enough to pass. But for a first-year head coach to have this team playing the way they are right now, it's been incredible to watch. And I think the other side of this is you – Ask me what I have thought about this guy. He's real. Like, he's not going to BS you. He, that's why I think some of these, these kids, like the Eli Brooks and the Isaiah Livers and the Xavier Simpsons, have felt so connected to him, and this team has felt so connected because they see what he brings for them. He's all in with them. They're all in with him. And for a first-year head coach, in that kind of a situation where Eli left, I'll still never forget when I woke up, and it's like seven in the morning that morning. And, and I get a, an alert that Beeline's going to the Cavs. I'm like, are you nuts? So to, to go from that to two final, you know, national championship game appearances in seven years, all the great runs, how great of a teacher he was to see him leave and then bring in a guy that's never coached before. You can't do much better in your first year. Love this from Dan Leach. Again, he's with 97-1, the ticket in uh, in Detroit. Love his insight. He's with me on College Basketball Coast to Coast, talk a little Big Ten. We're going to talk a little Horizon League in a moment or two. Uh, a, a kind of a, and I, and I also want to talk to you about, this is a, this is a wild 30th anniversary march for a lot of different yeah. reasons in college basketball. We'll get to that in a moment. Fun one. Maryland and Michigan State, you would probably point to and say, okay, possible if not likely run to the final four certainly could make it to the elite eight if not the final four is there another big 10 team besides terps and spartans whether you think it's illinois uh, wisconsin penn state maybe that ohio state team from sunday is there some other team that dan leach says that team can be in the elite eight if not in atlanta at the final four if so who might it be well, I, if you would have asked me this question two weeks ago, I would have easily said Penn State. I would have felt good about it with Lamar Stevens and Miles the Dread, Pirate Roberts with a big three uh, to win their game uh, against Rutgers uh, about a week or so ago. It's still them for me. 
but I would have felt much better about it because they've kind of swooned, if you will, uh, over the last couple of weeks. They lost three or four, including the Illinois and Indiana and Iowa. But I, I just think they're very well coached. I mentioned Lamar Stevens. Uh, they've got a nice, you know, guard named Jamari Wheeler as well. If I was going to go with one other team that I think has a chance that they put it together and play their optimal best aside from Maryland, Michigan State, I think it's the Nittany Lions. It's about that. Nittany Lions hosting Michigan State on Tuesday night. Uh, again, depending on when you're hearing us, because the show lives midweek, you may already know that result. Did Michigan State uh, pull it out of the road? Did Penn State hold serve at home, uh, jockeying for position again in the Big Ten tournament? Uh, so very interesting on that one. Uh, what a tremendous job uh, this season for uh, for the Penn State Nittany Lions to be in the position they're in. So I love that. I love that take. Um, All right, so I've been mentioning the Horizon League, which, again, as the mid-majors go, it's fascinating to watch these unfold because a lot of the same players come back. Uh, Dan was the voice of the Detroit Titans for many years in the Horizon League. A lot of the same players come back in this league. Wright State out of Dayton, Ohio, has been really good in this Horizon League. Uh, They are the defending champs of the conference tournament. They're the one seed off the regular season right now. Loud in love, power forward, good for a double-double it seems like every night. He's the player of the year. Scott Nagy, the coach, is the co-coach of the year this year. It's three years in a row that he's the coach of the year. So Wright State is clearly the favorite in the Horizon League here, but it's March Dan Leach, DTM, it is March, and anything can happen. Now we watch for this to unfold in Indianapolis next week, sir. What are your thoughts real quick? You know, it's, it's going to be incredible. And listen, that Wright State team, uh, so well-coached, well-deserving of, of Coach of the Year for the third straight year. 6-7, uh, to seven, this team has won. How about their game against a very bad IUPUI team? They won by 40. And you know how conference you know, life is uh, later in the season. A lot of games are kind of tight. But you mentioned Loud and Love. I love Jalen Hall, uh, who leads the team in assists. And Tanner Holden is shooting, uh, I think, over 60% of the field. So you've got to like and respect Wright State. But as we know, and, and you, we've covered this Horizon League for a long time, the tournament is crazy. Very rarely does the favorite <laughs> win. I will, I will go and tell you that I believe Wright State gets the job done again. But Northern Kentucky has had all these chances. There was a tournament a couple of years ago. Right. Uh, and I believe did they play Kentucky. And it's one of these things where you can't, they're 13 and five. They're, you know, they're a team that's won 10 games on the road, which we know is tough in the rising league. Uh, and they're 21 and nine in the year. So you can't forget, you can't forget about the Norse. And then all of a sudden, Green Bay's starting to play well. They've won two in a row. They've won seven games on the road. So those are the three teams I look at. I believe, you know, TJ, after those three, it really drops off. Could Youngstown State and UIC make some noise? Sure. But I really think that the champion is definitely coming out of Wright State, the North and Green Bay. And I'm gonna still I'm gonna stick with Wright State because they know what it takes. They've done it. I know it's a new venue this year, uh, as opposed to yep. the obviously Joe Lewis and the LCA. And I'm very like I, you said earlier, very, very disheveled and it's no longer in Detroit, but we'll have to move uh, the prediction Sasquatch over to Indy one of these days <laughs> and get that done. Yes. But I, I really think Wright State's the class of the league. I think they're going to get it done. Well, and they edged Northern Kentucky in the finale on Friday night, last Friday night as we're talking right now, by two. That clinched the number yep. one seed for them in the final game. Northern Kentucky, to your point, made the NCAA tournament two years ago winning this championship game, the Horizon League title game in the automatic bid, and it was only their second year of eligibility to go to the NCAA 
NCAA tournament when they did it. And the night they did it, they were playing the Milwaukee Panthers, who had only won seven games uh, in the regular season and yet came in and pulled two upsets in the conference tournament to get in the championship game. We were sitting on the possibility, if Milwaukee could win one more, of having a 10-win team on an automatic bid into the NCAA tournament. We were there that night. So to your point that anything crazy can happen, anything crazy can happen. It's March, right? hundred percent. And, and listen, you mentioned Northern Kentucky. I mean, they got Tyler Sharp, they got Lane, and they've got Kim and Tate who's been there seemingly for seven years. Uh, it's like Eric Kraft <laughs> Ohio State. Was he a grab student for six years in a row? <laughs> but you, you've got the class of that league. But as you mentioned, Milwaukee, and we were at that game. They really, and they were in it till the end. They had a chance to win as you know one of the worst teams in the league. So the fact that you've got a lot of these teams that are used to each other, that are bunched up, that are fearless. You know, when it comes to playing in a tournament setting, you know, even a team like Oakland, who's been pretty bad for much of the year, they're starting to play better. Could they finally break their tournament drought under Greg Canby in his 30, I think 33rd year uh, at Oakland U? There's a chance there, too. So there is definitely a lot of talent in this league. It makes that Horizon League tournament super fun. But I just, I, I, it feels like a, a Norse Wright State rematch for that final game of the regular season in the finals. But knowing, knowing like this, you know, it'll be Yorkstown State and uh, UIC and <laughs> Indy- By the way, my ineligible, TJ. Very disappointed. Oh, how about that? Uh, a little intel there for me. The Indiana Farmers Coliseum, just north of downtown Indianapolis, is where this tournament will play for the first time on a multi-year deal after being the last four years in Detroit. I don't know what I'm going to do because I don't have the red carpet rolled out for me from the Dan Leach of 97-1, the ticket. You will hear him on Tuesday night, on Thursday night, and Friday night on 97-1, the ticket, uh, in the late night and in the evenings. Love him love the insight. All right, so you're a contemporary of mine. This is the 30th anniversary of the 1990 March, the 1990 NCAA tournament that obviously culminated with UNLV destroying Duke in the championship game. We had so much from that year, and we're about to come up, and the hair on the back of my neck is standing up right now. It's a spooky anniversary with the death of Hank Gathers, the Loyola Marymount player, on the court during the West Coast Conference Tournament back now, I cannot believe, 30 years ago, middle of this week, that that happened tragically. And out of that horrible tragedy, Loyola Marymount became a darling for two weekends in the NCAA Tournament. And I don't have to tell you this because you know who they beat in the second game of that run was the defending defending champion Michigan Wolverines got into the track meet with them, going up and down the floor, gunning three-pointers, and Loyola Marymount gunned them down. But uh, what do you want to say about all of that? I'll give you the floor here for a second to go back to that time, what you remember, and and what a... What a magical couple of weekends for a little tiny uh, Jesuit school in uh, in Southern California, Loyola Marymount. Yeah, I'll tell you this. You know, I got into college basketball at a very young age. So I remember that 89 team, obviously, uh, with Steve Fisher taking over from Bill Freeder and, and, you know, Glenn Rice and Lloyd Vaughn and Ramil Robinson and the, the championship game against Seton Hall. Then they won it in overtime uh, in Seattle. I, I, I was really into it. From a young age. So, yeah, was I devastated with the great Paul Westhead running good on a little Marymount? Uh, Lions beat Michigan, sure. But to see what came out of that, because I, I was I was 11 years old, and to, to see Bo Kimball shoot the free oh. throw with one hand oh. in honor of Heath Gathers, 
I was crying. I mean, I'll admit it. I don't, I'm not embarrassed. Oh, emotional hey, guy. I still, I was, the hair on the back of my neck is standing yeah. up. I still remember watching that live. And they knew because Bo Kimball had told Greg Gumbel, Quinn Buckner, and the CBS crew that yeah. was doing the game, I'm going to do this for Hank because he had such trouble shooting free throws that he went to shooting them left-handed with one hand. I'm going to shoot them left-handed in his honor. And then he makes the first, and nobody knows what to say. Like, they're, they're choked up on the air. Like, what do you say? Their teammate died the week before, and he's paying tribute to him, and he just made a left-handed free throw. And Quinn Buckner says, well, excuse me, I was never a good free throw shooter, but I can't believe I just watched him shoot with the left hand and make the free throw. And then, boom, he hits the second one. And at that point, I think New Mexico State could have gone and gotten on the bus, Stan Leach. It was over. No, it was it was it was incredible, and, and I think you and I went college shoot fans that were alive then will never forget it. And people need to understand this: that Hank Gathers. I mean, obviously, you whenever you lose a human being or an athlete, it's, it's terrible. But Hank Gathers was one of the best players in college basketball yes. in twenty years. He led the nation in scoring and rebounding in the second season. He was only the second guy to do that, and thirty-two a game, thirteen-seven rebounds a game. He was an incredible player. So imagine. Losing a guy like that right before the NCAA tournament, going on that run, I mean, it'd be, it'd be like, you know, the Spartans losing Cassius Winston or Duke losing Vernon Carey Jr., losing your best player right. still as, as a mid-major school, going on that run to the Elite Eight. It was one of the more special sporting stories of our lives, and I think one of the most special sporting stories you'll ever see in the, the modern era. So. The fact that it's 30 years says that we're old, which is fine, because we're young at heart. <laughs> I remember it like you do. Yeah. That it was, it was yesterday. And, and as a young kid who loved playing basketball, I'd go out after those games and play across the street at my neighbor's house. And I, I remember specifically shooting left-handed free throws to honor Hank Gathers during some games that me and my friends were playing outside. So it was, it was really, really sad. But I think that you could have honored the life and legacy of Hank Gathers any better than Bo Kimball and Paul Westhead, you know, uh, team did on that run. Yeah, and they just, I don't know if you saw this, they just put a statue, Dan Leach, in front of Loyola Marymount's basketball arena on the 30th anniversary, so there, it's there forever now. A Hank Gathers statue is there. Um, and it's it's good to see after many years in and around this, and it was to be expected of acrimony. The family sued the school. They sued Westhead yeah. for the heart condition and all of that. They have finally made peace. All of them have, have essentially made peace. Bo Kimball was part of the peacemaker situation uh, on that. Uh, it's just amazing to go back to that time. And, and UNLV beat Loyola Marymount in the regional final. And Loyola Marymount was actually in the game in the second half. They were going up and down the floor yeah. with Larry Johnson, Grandmama, and Stacey Augman and all those guys, uh, Greg Anthony. They were going up and down the floor, but UNLV eventually wore them down, made shots, and ended up beating them, then rolled into the Final Four, beat Georgia Tech, and destroyed Duke, and won the title in the ninety in the 90 Final Four in Denver. So again, I, I don't want to accept that that was 30 years ago, but man, what memories that we're sharing uh, here with, with Dan Leach. I hope that we get something memorable out of this march for sure, and, and usually we do. This thing always seems to deliver. All right, plug away on how and when we hear you this week. Dan Leach on that station in Detroit on 97 won the ticket. Teams are never not on. We got Wednesday night. We've got Thursday night. We've got Friday night after the Red Wings. 
He's got weekend action after Tigers baseball. It just never ends because, like you, I love what we do. Uh, I don't care if I'm on during the middle of the day or I'm on at midnight after a big Wings or Pistons or Michigan game. Uh, but you'll hear a lot of me, obviously, the next week. But uh, you'll hear a lot of both of us going on uh, for the, the tournament and the Big Ten tournament and the Horizon tournament. And there's nothing like March. I mean, oh. TG, I'll tell you this. We know that everyone's every year. The tournament's going to be crazy. Be careful when you fill your bracket out. We say that every year. It's true. But this year, with no consensus, number one, Baylor has lost, you know, as the yep. number two team in the country in a game they should have. You know, Duke is solid. Kansas is solid. But there's no consensus, number one. We're going to have the crazy. We might have three one seeds out after the first weekend of the tournament. We're going to have one of the craziest March Madnesses we're ever going to see. Do you agree with the analysis that right now there are at least eight, if not ten, if not more teams that could win the whole thing? You buy that? I was going to, yeah, I was going to say fourteen. Now, <laughs> fourteen, be, that many? Wow. When you when, when you get when you really get down to it, as you know, when you start getting to like you know the Sweet Sixteen and beyond, the class rises to the top. But in a normal year, I would say about eight, eight to ten. This year, I think it's about 14, because when you look at all these different teams, when you look at teams, like as I mentioned, like Baylor and Kansas and, you know, Duke and uh, all these, you know, these teams, some of them are untested. And I feel like when you get to this situation in a one and done, could you see a Florida State go on a run? I don't know, like they lost. Seton Hall. Like, Seton sure. Hall, for example, stands yeah. out. Or, uh, you know, pick, pick one. Could Penn State put, right, could Creighton put it together? Could Penn State put it together? Uh, you wonder, uh, and on and, and on and on down the list out of the SEC, uh, you know, there's a couple of teams, but besides yeah, Kentucky, uh, Kentucky you saw Auburn do what they did last year. What about at the ACC level? Could Louisville put it together and be in that Final Four? And be a, we don't know. That's what we're about to find out. But uh, there's not a prohibitive team. I mean, last year Duke was supposedly the prohibitive team with Zion. Huge fan. And they almost lost in the round of 32. They did lose to Michigan State in the round of eight. They never made the Final Four. That's why this is so great. I know you know that. There's one team, by the way, we have not mentioned the the former fighting Steve Fishers, but the current fighting Brian Dodgers. San Diego State's lost one time this year. They play in a league conference, but don't forget about them. Well, and you look the other night, just to your point, they're on the road at Nevada. Steve Alford's the coach. Nevada is pretty good, not great. Nevada's up 10 about midway through the second half. San Diego State calm, not rattled. Got got the, the defense cranked up. Hit Malachi Flynn, the, the outstanding point guard, hits a couple of big shots. They never panicked. They controlled the last 10 minutes of the game and won on the road and made it look ordinary. And that says to me, look out. Look out when they face adversity that they're going to be fine on the road. Of course, I say that and watch them get bounced by like a 15 seed. But it, 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 it looks like that is a team that can definitely put it together and be in Atlanta. They are legit. They're deep. They've got upperclassmen. You're absolutely right. San Diego State should be talked about. Gonzaga should be talked about uh, out west. We'll see. It's going to be a lot team, of fun. There's one team that we were missing. We didn't say because as a Detroit Pistons fan, and they're probably going to be drafting in the top four, hopefully, I want them to go all in on this guy. Don't forget about Obi spinning top. In oh. it. They are unproven as far as a national power, obviously, because they're coming out of the 8-10 and mid-major. That team, with their point guard play and with Obi Toppin, Crutcher, 
They are a team that definitely is worthy of going to the Final Four. And they have a coach who was an assistant. We've talked about this on College Basketball Coast to Coast a couple of times. A coach in Anthony Grant that was an assistant on the Billy Donovan national title teams that had VCU in the tournament, and they upset Duke previously. So he's got experience in March. It's not like it's an unheralded coach. So let's just see how that plays out. One thing is for sure, we have a blast talking to this guy all the time. Promise me this. If the Big Ten keeps ringing the bell, and Michigan in particular is ringing the bell in the tournament, i got to get Dan the man back on. i got to get Dan Leach back on the College Basketball Coast to Coast podcast. Promise me that we get to talk again, at least in a couple of weeks, when all the madness starts to sort out, my friend. Promises made, promises kept, my friend. I love it. This man is uh, my brother from another mother, not only for the hoops and the sports, but he loves movies like Spy Game with Robert Redford and Brad Pitt. I'm with you. I drive my wife crazy. I can watch that movie anytime, even though I've seen it 50 times. I, uh, I love that. Operation Dinner Out, right, brother? Operation Dinner Out. Go rescue Brad Pitt from the Chinese prison if we can. I got that flash. I got that flash from David Lee Cummings. I love it. Uh, Outstanding stuff. Good luck with the shows. Thank you for hopping on College Basketball Coast to Coast. I will miss you in Indy at the Horizon League. I'll be thinking of you. Hopefully we'll catch up again here in March. Thank you, Dan Leach. My pleasure, and I'll be there in spirit, my friend. Many thanks to Dan Leach. Again, find him at DanLeach971 on Twitter. 97.1, the ticket is the sports station in Detroit where you hear him doing his broadcasting uh, late nights, weeknights, and on the weekends. After the different games, he told you he's going to be on Wednesday night, going to be on Thursday night, going to be on this weekend as well. Lots of Big Ten talk uh, as they get ready to head to their conference tournament and the and the seating in the different places. So we thank Dan for being on. Still to come, Mark Wise will be straight ahead working LSU and Arkansas midweek. Again, we're coast to coast, every which direction, talking about all these different games. Chris Dobertine is blogging the bracket, bloggingthebracket.com. Chris from the SB Nation family of sites will be with us later on in the podcast to give us a breakdown as well. Before we get to those interviews, another reminder, go get the Play Pick 6 mobile app. It is the best time of the year to go grab this mobile app and pick any six games and show what you know in college basketball with the blur of games, the conference tournaments, I mean, next week there's going to be dozens and dozens and dozens of conference tournament games on a given Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. Go get the Play Pick 6 mobile app. Download it in the iTunes store. Go to the Google Play store. Go get the Play Pick 6 mobile app. Sign up takes less than two minutes, and it's absolutely free to play. Pick all six games correct in one day, and you've got a great sports-themed restaurant gift card awaiting you. Go sign up. Go play for free. Show what you know. Download the Play Pick 6 mobile app, again, out of the Apple store or the Google Play store, absolutely for free. Uh, and again, you can go to playpick6.com and find out more about the rules and how to play, but you need the app. The app will tell you everything that you need to know about how to enter the games. And again, unlike a lot of these prediction game uh, apps and games that you see on certain websites, you can cross over sports with Play Pick 6. There, there's almost no other game where it allows you to do college basketball picks with the NBA, mix and match with the NHL as well this time of year right now. So pick three college games if you want in a given day, sprinkle in the NBA and the NHL, and you're good to go. And here's another feature from Play Pick 6. 
if one of your six predictions loses out, so let's say on this Saturday in particular, we've been talking about this, but it's a great feature. One of your picks early in the day loses out. Go ahead and pick six more games that haven't started. College basketball, NBA, mix and match. Keep it all college hoops if you want. Use those mountain time zone games, uh, the, the Pacific time zone games, etc. Fire away with six more picks. You get a great chance to win. So again, download the app, Google Play Store, Apple Store. What are you waiting for? Make those predictions and win. It's play pick six. Oh, it's here. The month of March is here. We've got championship bids, automatic bids going out for the NCAA tournament this weekend. It's championship week next week. He's a champ of a guy. He's back flying the friendly skies and working more SEC basketball for the SEC Network and the ESPN family of networks. My analyst, the former Purdue and South Florida assistant Mark Wise, back on board on college basketball coast to coast. All right, you're headed for LSU and Arkansas, so it's good to have you. The travels are going well. Lots of SEC to still sort out. Probably a spot, maybe two spots in the NCAA tournament still for about five teams, right? Uh, no question about it, TJ. And by the way, welcome to the madness because March <laughs> is here. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, all right, so let's begin with what you have in the preview mode for Wednesday night. This is an LSU team that is obviously talented. I think we most, we agree, most would say they're in. Uh, so uh, I guess uh, the, the question now becomes, can Arkansas get a quality right. win against a likely tournament team? That's kind of the backdrop for this one in Fayetteville, right? I, I think this is a last gasp opportunity for Arkansas. I think they've got to win twice this final regular season week and probably win a couple of more in the SEC tournament. For LSU, I think they're solidly, if you look at most brackets, they're solidly on that 8-9 line, and yet this is another quadrant one opportunity on the road uh, to beat Arkansas. It's interesting. These two teams met in January, and LSU completely dominated Arkansas down in that high-rent district. They were were plus 29 in rebound margin, and they outscored the Hogs in second-chance points. 26 to zero. Now, the only way we, we've talked about this, I mean, in a lot of ways, Eric Musselman has done a fabulous job playing small ball with Arkansas. This is not a very big team at all. Adriel Bailey is their biggest starter at six foot seven. They had to go through the five games where Isaiah Joe was hurt and Arkansas was 0 and 5 in those games. So the, they've had a great year from Mason Jones, but they're going to have to fire on all cylinders. And I, the only way I see that Arkansas is going to be able to pull this off is they're going to have to have a dynamite three-point presence. So I'm going to say 10 threes or more. It's going to have to be double figures in threes if Arkansas wants to be around at the end. Arkansas net ranking 47, uh, but they have only won three of their last 10 games. I'm kind of big on this this week about how you finish the season. This is this is obviously a game the committee is going to look at. Uh, just follow up uh, for one half second. It is rare in a power conference uh, to see plus 29 in a rebound, right. I mean, that is astounding. That's highly unusual, that drastic, right? Well, again, th- this is what LSU does best. Um, they, they, they are the best north-south team in this conference. They get the ball to the rim. They, they don't mess around a whole lot with, the, with ball reversal. They want high ball screens as fast as they can get them, and they're going to allow Javante Smart and – 
uh, Skylar Mays to play downhill. And once the ball gets up on the rim, they really go get it. Uh, uh, one of the problems for LSU this year has been on the defensive end. They really don't have a rim protector. And at times, I think they get so consumed with scoring that they forget that you have to play both ends of the floor. And that uh, that has really hurt them at times. So uh, from that standpoint, you know, it, it's like any – I think LSU is like any team in the country – when you play inconsistently throughout the course of the season on one end of the floor, the, the other, like Florida's another example, Providence is another example, I don't think it's realistic to expect those teams to all of a sudden be real consistent in the NCAA tournament where you have to rattle off two wins in three consecutive weeks. Great point that you make there. Love Mark's insight. He's with us for a few minutes before he's got to hop on a plane and head to do LSU and Arkansas Wednesday night, SEC Network. Just another note on that game. While the Tigers are firmly in again and have, and have played well, they haven't played as well as of late on the road in the SEC, just one and four. They did beat South Carolina a week ago on the road. Uh, but other than that, one and four on the road right now, straight up going into Fayetteville. Let's see what happens. Uh, for that matchup. All right, so we saw a humongous comeback by Wichita State on Sunday. Right. By humongous, right. I mean 24 down in the second half. They come back and win on the road and get it done. I watched two of the better teams in Conference USA, and we'll be doing that tournament uh, now on TuneIn as well uh, with the live broadcast of the CUSA Championship game. So I was watching Western Kentucky, Mark, the other night, and Louisiana right. Tech. La Tech up 17 on the road at Bowling Green at Western Kentucky with six minutes to play. Blew the lead. Game goes into overtime. They lose. We've seen over and over again 20-point right. leads. Right. What's going on with leads evaporating uh, like this? What? Put your finger on it. It seems to be crazy. Well, these teams that go through these droughts, I think, share these things in common. Poor shot selection because everybody gets three ball happy. And we've talked all season long about the negative impact that the new three-point line has had. I think it has redefined what a bad shooting night is. Uh, It used to be if we we talked about a bad shooting night a year ago, we would talk about a team that would go six for 22 or – Six for 19 or something like that. Now a new a bad uh, uh, night at the line is going three for 24. And when you do that and you have droughts, then how do you get out of a drought? Here's what I think is missing. I think we are missing the ability to drive the ball in the mid-range area. Mm. Because of that, you're not getting to the free throw line as much and you're not getting offensive rebounds because you're taking some wild shots. So I think it's Shot selection, the lack of driving to get fouled, and the lack of getting second-chance opportunities. It's SMU's case, it was turnovers uh, in Louisiana. Well, this, Te- yeah, yeah, sure, that Absolutely. was part of it. That was add part that. of it. And add that, too, but that was part of it. But interesting that in Louisiana Tech's case, they committed defensive foul after defensive foul after defensive foul while right. still up three or four scores you got to be smart, too, in some of these instances because they kept putting a good foul-shooting team, Western Kentucky, at the line uh, that just kept making them and making them with the clock stop and set up their defense, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it's it's wild how many large leads have evaporated on teams for losses 
down the stretch of the season. couple more moments. Uh, we will talk three wise men before we're done with Mark Wise. These could be coaches. These can be players, conference commissioners, et cetera, et cetera, athletic directors, whomever. Stand by for that. If I say to you, buffet in front of you, give me a conference right. we're not talking about enough, Mark Wise. We've been talking about a bunch of conferences a lot. Give me one we're not talking about enough headed into the stretch run and championship week next week. I don't think we're talking enough about the West Coast Conference. And the reason we're not talking enough about it is because we spend most of our time talking about Gonzaga. (laughs) But i got to tell you, I love the way BYU is built. One of the better three-point shooting teams in the country. Childs is now back and playing healthy. Um, I I think they have a lot of ingredients that I like to make a run the NCAA tournament. And we're not even discussing Jordan Ford and St. Mary's and – and the fact that, that they're on most people's eight or nine line, I think these are two dangerous teams, and I don't think we're spending enough time talking about them. And St. Mary's went toe-to-toe with Gonzaga in what was a great game back on Saturday night. Not, not unlike the fir- It was unlike the first game where Gonzaga crushed them in Northern California by 30. This was a great game. That's going to be a fun tournament that will, that will commence on the weekend and will wrap up next Tuesday night. Uh, and what happens if a San Francisco, USF out west, or somebody like Pacific, right. where Damon Stoudemire pulls an upset or two? I agree with you. That's going to be a fun tournament. And likely, Gonzaga, BYU, St. Mary's, uh, all three already in. So if somebody else were to win the tournament, that's likely four teams in for uh, the West Coast Conference. We shall see. All right. Uh, time to get to it. Here we go. Let's do it officially. And now it's time for Mark Wise's Three Wise Men. All right, despite the screaming kids around him at Hartsfield Airport and all other distractions, we're not going to be detoured from Three Wise Men, Mark Wise. Give me a wise man. Well, let's start with Lon Kruger, one of those guys that have taken five different teams to the NCAA dance. Last week, Oklahoma beat Texas Tech and at West Virginia, and all of a sudden West Virginia cannot score. But that those two wins put Oklahoma from the wrong side of the bubble to the right side of the bubble. Wise man number one, Lon Kruger. No doubt uh, about that. And again, Oklahoma and Texas playing Tuesday night, so you may already know that result, but the Sooners right in the thick of things to be in the NCAA tournament yet again. Give me another one, Mighty One. This can be player, coach, somebody, a wise man. TJ, what if I told you there was a player in in the last three years of his career has averaged over 20-plus points per game in each of those three years? He scored over 2,700 points. Right now, he's the leading scorer in the NCAA, and he's doing it all at five foot eleven. I don't think we give enough credit to Marcus Howard and what he has done for Marquette. He's going to put them in the dance, and when you have the scouting report target on your back, it is really remarkable what he's been able to do and overcome with his size. Wise man number two, 
Marcus Howard. Yeah, we kind of saw it a year ago in the NCAA tournament with Carson Edwards, smaller, making all the big shots for Purdue uh, all throughout the season. And so you're right about Marcus Edwards. If you, Edwards, if you've been watching Big East basketball uh, the last couple of years, you know that name. You know what he can do, or Marcus Howard, excuse me. You know what he can do, obviously for Steve Wojciechowski, who was an undersized player at Duke, um, and now is the head coach there at Marquette. So I love that for the second wise man in the Big East tournament. It's going to be wild as always at the Garden. Give me one more, please. Well, this is the sub of the week, no question about it. East Tennessee State on Saturday clinched the regular season SOCON title. Why is that important? It's important because that guarantees no, no worse than an NIT bid, and there's a lot of t- talk about whether or not they might be deserving an at- of an at-large bid. But I digress. Let's get back to the game. It's the home game against Western Carolina, and off the bench, the redshirt junior transfer, Patrick Good, in the game, who is whose hometown is Johnson City, Tennessee, went for 26 points. But that's not the best part. He made seven threes in the game, and he made all seven in the last eight minutes as East Tennessee (laughs) made one of those dramatic comebacks. The Buccaneers were down seven inside two minutes to go. Good was the one who hit the three with seven seconds to go to give them the lead. They held off Western Carolina in the last possession. It was a dramatic win, dramatic performance by wise man number three, Patrick Good. Love it. I I know you're waiting to yell uh, when you get a chance to do the SoCon Championship game on ESPN TV next week. It's good if he's in that game, (laughs) if he gets the chance. That's like Mark Wise-esque, seven made threes in the final eight minutes, Coach, the way that you would do it. I love the wise men. I love the work. All right, so we have LSU, Arkansas on Saturday. Then South Carolina at-large hopes are on life support right now. They have Vandy right on Saturday. You'll have that one to, to close out the regular season. Season. And South Carolina, not just to win in this game, they got they got to win a couple at least in Nashville. I would have to huge, think. Yeah. huge game on Tuesday night. South Carolina hosting Mississippi State. Mississippi State is in most people's first four out. South Carolina is at the bottom of the next four out. Huge game in Columbia. So you may know that result already if you're listening here midweek, but South Carolina, even if they win that one, and maybe even Mississippi State if they win that one, you better be safe and go win a game or two in Nashville next week to help bolster the case for those spots. Listen, it's always great to talk with you. I know you're traveling. LSU, Arkansas, SEC Network Wednesday night on the weekend. It's South Carolina and Vanderbilt coming on the ESPN family of networks. Coach, thank you. Championship week coming. Automatic bids this weekend. We can't wait. Thank you, sir. Thanks, TJ. The madness is here. So, yes, the calendar is flipped to March, and I don't know anybody that's more ready than the guy that's blogging the bracket full-time, all the time, every time, bloggingthebracket.com's Chris Dobertine of the SB Nation family of sites, their network, the whole bit. It's here, brother. You're here. It's here. We got conference tournaments this week, full-on championship week next week, the barrage, the avalanche, whatever metaphor. Here we go, right? Yeah, I always, you know, say that this is both the shortest and the longest two weeks of my year. So (laughs) (laughs) things really kind of get into gear. We have a little bit on Tuesday night with some preliminary round action and the ace and quarterfinals and 
three tournaments kind of having their opening rounds and then things Thursday, I'm looking at the schedule. It's like, wow, things really get into gear coming up on Thursday afternoon uh, as conference tournaments just really kind of get going. And we kind of wrap up everybody else's regular seasons over the next few days. No doubt, but automatic bids will be flying this weekend already. And then championship next week, we're excited about uh, as well. All right, so let's have some uh, fun on this part of the discussion. The Mountain West is playing a week earlier. Now, you're an expert to ask this. This is the first time they've done that, or is this like the second time that they've played a week earlier than what they usually have played? Uh, I don't seem to recall them before, but you would be able to answer this. Is this the first time that the Mountain West in Vegas will play a week earlier than most of the championship uh, tournaments? Yes, this is a one-shot deal because there's some big convention in Vegas next that closes on next Saturday, which is kind of funny that the WAC and the Pac-12 didn't move their tournaments up too. The Mountain West did, and it's only a one-shot deal because next year, as part of the new TV deal they have with CBS and Fox, the broadcast of the championship game is guaranteed to be on Selection Eve during that contract. So this is only a one-shot deal for them. Interesting. All right, and so why is this... Uh, one of a little more importance. We know all about San Diego State and how good they are, uh, but there is a real case, and, I, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of uh, already scooping the in or out segment that we do with Chris Dauber team. But Utah State has an opportunity here with an at-large case to maybe be one of those bid stealers, or you like to call them, what do you call them, bid thieves, that you like to call them on bloggingthebracket.com. This is the first one that we need to be aware of, really, heading to the weekend, right? Yeah, it is because, you know, they beat Florida and LSU on neutral floors back, you know, early in the season. They're 38th in the net, so they're definitely in selection range. Uh, the problem that they're going to potentially have is, is they can't really afford another loss because they're the two seed, so they're set up to play the winner of the 7-10 game, which will be on Wednesday in Las Vegas. And that's potentially New Mexico, who they lost to in Albuquerque on Saturday. If they, you know, Granted, having those two really nice wins over SEC teams would be helpful, but losing two games in a row to the same opponent, you know, who's kind of fallen off after starting off really well in the Lobos, that would re- leave a really bad taste in the mouth of the committee, especially, as you said, with the conference tournament being a week earlier than normal. That's a whole lot of time for a whole yes. bunch of teams to potentially pass the Aggies. If so you, they have to be very careful of that game. If you lose that game, you roughly have about 10 days to wring your hands, pace the floors, and wait. It's a great point that you make. If they get to the championship game with San Diego State, how much more does that solidify Utah State's argument in your mind, Chris? Yeah, I think at that point they're 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 pretty well safe because they'll have survived. You know, probably New Mexico and then Nevada is the three seed, and that's another team that's potentially a little bit dicey there. They're eighty fourth on the net right now, so that would be a quad two win since it's on a neutral floor. Um, that'd be another quad two win for the resume if they actually get that in the semifinal. So I think at that point, you know, if they end up playing San Diego State, you know, you get to the final, you might as well win it. But if they don't, I think that they'd be pretty well okay at that point. Interesting. All right. Uh, and again, uh, if they win the tournament, this is the great part of this, and we'll talk so many times about it this week and next week for championship week. If Utah State wins a tournament, then that is a bid that is going to be taken from probably a mid-range Power 5, something like that, you would think, that's on the bubble. 
because San Diego State is obviously getting in, and right now the plan is not too out of the Mountain West, but it could be. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that one uh, in specific. Um, all right, so I'm also curious here with these different tournaments. East Tennessee State uh, out of the Southern Conference. Uh, again, that is potentially potentially a bid stealer for somebody else, but I get the sense from hearing a lot of uh, bracket analysts, etc., East Tennessee State doesn't have as good an at-large case as a couple of others. What do you think about the Buccaneers, Johnson City, Tennessee, East Tennessee State as an at-large case right now headed into the Southern Conference Tournament? It's going to be you know, really dicey for them. It's going to be very close. Their net's at 40, so they're two spots below Utah State right now. They also beat LSU, beat them in Baton Rouge, which is a major feather in their cap. Um, some of the metrics, strength of record, really likes East Tennessee State. The others, Ken Palm, Sager, and BPI, not so much. 11-3 um, and three on the road, they have just one bad loss against Mercer. The problem for them is, is they have to get to the final, really, to have a great case, because if they lose, potentially, in the semifinal or even the quarterfinal, those opponents aren't going to be anywhere near as good as the Furman UNCG, you know, top 70, top 80 type teams they'd be getting. You know, that would be a quad one. That would be a quad two type loss. You know, if they actually lose to one of those teams in the final, you know, they're looking at losing to a, a quad three or a quad four if they lose in the semifinal or quarterfinal, which would, at that point, you talk about leaving a, another bad last impression on the committee that would do it. So I think East Tennessee State has got to get to the SOCON final to have a shot. And, you know, as usual, if you can make it to the final, just go ahead and win it and take it out of the committee's hands. That's the whole thing. Uh, go, and, go and win your games. And again, the SOCON championship game is next Monday night and we'll be fluid with college basketball coast-to-coast this show and this podcast on when it's up and when it's going because it's almost impossible uh, unless you're going to do it every day to keep track of everything. But just keep that in mind that East Tennessee State will be playing, as Chris described, potentially, likely, semifinal game Sunday night, championship game Monday night. And then they could be very nervous if they're beaten, especially in the semifinals of that Southern Conference yep. tournament. But, uh, you know, we suspect, again, this is a very strong team, a team that hung in with Kansas. I know it was all the way back in November that did beat LSU at LSU. Uh, they've got a couple of other interesting wins, including beating Little Rock, who's the top team in the Sun Belt. Mm-hmm. They also um, have a couple of other games of interest uh, from earlier in the year, too, against Appalachian State and uh, uh, another one against Cleveland State. Cleveland State, not very good out of the Horizon League that they won. So they're an interesting Winthrop. case. Winthrop as well, Winthrop yes. A, yeah. So yeah, we'll, Winthrop a big a, a big South title threat. So potentially they could have wins over teams like Little Rock and Winthrop, as you said, who could be automatic bid winners themselves. And the committee has said over and over again, how did you do against teams that are in the field? And that may not yeah. be determined until later in championship week, like we're talking about. In the case of Little Rock, the Sun Belt is one of the last tournament championship games. I'll have the privilege of broadcasting that again on TuneIn, the Sun Belt Conference Championship. But uh, I believe the the Sun Belt, the American, and the Big Ten are the last three pieces to the puzzle yep. that are being played late Sunday afternoon, right, Chris? And so right. let's let's say that East Tennessee State loses the championship game 
but they look up and Winthrop has won the Big South. Little Rock has won the uh, the Sun Belt on Championship Sunday. That may help them. That may help. Them. That's your point. That may help them more. Yeah, I, I, except of course the Little Rock game being so light, it might be too little, too light. Yeah, it could be for how you slot them in uh, as an at-large team, East Tennessee State we're talking about. All right, so fun with those. I promise we're going to get to some in and out in a few moments. But you're a uh, you're a, a contemporary of mine, a historian of the game. We were talking earlier on the podcast with Dan Leach, who's in Detroit with 97-1, the ticket, uh, to talking some Big Ten, talking some Michigan, talking some Horizon League tournament, etc., uh, and I also made mention to him that we have now, here in the midweek, hit the 30th anniversary of the unfortunate passing on the court during the West Coast Conference Tournament of Hank Gathers, who was leading the nation uh, in scoring and rebounding for Loyola Marymount for LMU that year. I've talked a bunch about it on the podcast with Dan before you've come on, so you've got the floor now. What do you want to talk about about what you remember, the impact, it being 30 years later, et cetera, et cetera, Chris? Well, I, it was hard for me because I was in middle school, so I didn't you know, get the news until the next morning because I was obviously not able to stay up for a WCC tournament game. And it was absolutely devastating because, yeah, you know, it wasn't quite the same as it is today where, you know, this, you know, Hank gathers would dominate Twitter. He would dominate social media where he, you know, alive and, and, you know, playing today and being a contemporary of, you know, the, you know, the 2020, 2019, 2020 season, you know, that's how dominant he was. I mean, he was all over, you know, sports center was pretty much all we had then. Right. And he dominated sports center. And I remember, you know, my first real exposure to kind of the depth of the story, there was a made-for-TV movie called Final Shot that came out three years later. That was kind of my real introduction to it and kind of his background and, and kind of how him and, and Bo had gone, you know, from Philadelphia to Los Angeles and started at USC and then moved to Loyola Marymount in this little school in Los Angeles, you know, obviously not too far from USC, USC's campus if you don't know the area all that well. Um just became this this little school just became the dominant force in West Coast basketball for those two seasons. And you kind of think about it and, you know, it's one of those stories and you think about, you know, Bo shooting the free throws with the opposite hand. Yep. And, and you know, that's one of those stories that really, you know, really kind of exemplify why I love this time of year so much because, you know, not only the human interest stories, these, these, these schools that you don't, you know, that you're not familiar with, especially if you're, you know, growing up in Florida like me, you know, these little schools, you know, getting double digit seeds and, and, you know, making, uh, making runs to the tournament are really what make this tournament magic. Why really never want to see a changer go to this, you know, all power conference business that people often talk about and splitting off the mid majors, you know, you know, you get stories like this and that's what makes March magical no doubt about that and uh, you know again uh, Bo Kimball and Hank Gathers were Philadelphia high school legends before it's amazing that they got out of Philadelphia without getting offered uh you know I guess the the you know the dream of the NBA and the lure of the west coast and that kind of stuff got them to Southern California and to USC in the first place but it's just amazing to go back and look at uh, at the fact that with all those great schools in Philly, they got out of Philly. There wasn't a LaSalle yeah. or a St. Joe's or a Villanova or a Penn. You know, Penn's obviously Ivy League, but uh, all of those programs, Temple, et cetera, couldn't keep them in Philly. 
They they go out west, and again, you can go back on YouTube and relive some of what Chris Dobertine and I are talking about right now in college basketball, coast to coast. It's not an exaggeration that it was as exhilarating, crazy, fun to watch them go uh, possession by possession and shoot the ball in five seconds over and over and over again by design, Chris. This was Paul Westhead's mastermind plan. We're going to fatigue you. We're going to wear you down. We're going to speed you up. We're going to shoot maybe a 100 times in a game if we can. Uh, and and it was just amazing because it was so far ahead of its time with understanding the three point shot, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think we can convey that enough to people that aren't aware of what Loyola Marymount, uh, gathers Kimball and, and Paul Westhead and those couple of seasons were. Yeah, there's a Paul Westhead 30 for 30 called guru of go that you really need to check out if you haven't seen it. That really just explains this whole philosophy and, and really is a, a nice summary of kind of this period in college basketball. And still, uh, the horrific tragedy. A tragedy. I mean, here you have a player who dies on the court in the middle of a tournament game. What, what are they going to do? So they declare the tournament over. They give the, they give the tournament championship to Loyola Marymount. They have his memorial service, his funeral service in the interim yeah. before the NCAA tournament selection committee slots Loyola Marymount into the tournament. And then everybody's wondering, how are these guys going to come together? And you're talking about that documentary, and I've seen other interviews and other other documentary coverage of that team. They just came together, uh, and it was it was amazing. It was amazing to watch them in the Michigan game, the second-round game, where here they are against the defending national champs, as we were talking about with Dan Leach. He didn't want to hear it. He's a Detroit guy. He's a Michigan guy. Yeah. But they, they had three NBA guys still on that team. Ramil Robinson, yeah. uh, what was it, uh, Rooks, uh, Terry Mills. They had NBA guys on that team, and they were stepping on their tongues, Chris Dobertine. They couldn't keep up with Loyola Marymount in the run and gun. It was just magical one more time. Yeah, 149 <laughs> to 150. <laughs> Uh huh. I mean, that's some twenty. That is some twenty nineteen twenty NBA type scoring, and this, you know, we're talking thirty years ago. I mean, and then of course they win the next game in the Sweet Sixteen yes. against Alabama, sixty two to sixty. So they, you know, they were not, you know, they didn't necessarily have to run it up. They were able to run efficiently, and if if the, you know, if the occasion called for it, and then of course you know they they play another shootout in the regional final against UNLV. You know, one of the great all-time teams and lose by 30 points. Again, a 2020 NBA score, 131-101. Well, and, and we were talking about this with uh, with Dan Leach. We didn't bring up the Alabama game. Uh, as we reminisce about Loyola yeah. Marymount 1990 and one of the great stories uh, of that year as they made their way into the Elite Eight tiny school. And again, they just, Chris, I think you're probably aware of this, but for the audience a second time, they just dedicated a Hank Gather statue last weekend outside the arena on the campus at Loyola Marymount 30 years later to immortalize him there on the campus. Uh, after all the acrimony, the lawsuits, they've all finally come together. They are, they're honoring him the way that he should be honored. Uh, but anyway... Uh, you go back to that Alabama game, Wimp Sanderson, good old Wimp with the plaid jackets, he and his staff yeah. decided to go completely counter uh, and and, uh, and and attack what Loyola Marymount was trying to do, which is, okay, we're going to hold the ball. And I believe it, at that time it was a – was it the 45-second clock still? 
I believe it was the 45-second shot clock, not the 30, yeah. the 45-second shot clock. <laughs> and there yeah. was something like 15 possessions or more during the game where Alabama held the ball, passing around, moving around in the perimeter to keep it from being a track meet and to slow it down. And Loyola yeah. Marymount still won the game. They found a way to get a, enough, a couple of buckets and a couple of stops and won the game. And I still remember Paul Westhead in the aftermath of that uh, saying 60, 62 points for us is a half. He goes, I can't believe yeah. they held us 50-something <laughs> points under our average and we won the game. So, uh, And then, and then uh, obviously, as you mentioned, they play UNLV in the next game who goes on to win the national championship. So UNLV's yeah. championship run is intertwined with playing this LMU team when we reminisce. Yeah, and of course, that was back when UNLV was in the Big West, not in the Mountain West. So, I mean, you think about that, you know, it's almost kind of a callback to where we are right now, where the two best teams on the West Coast were mid-major teams, and this year it's Gonzaga and San Diego State. 30 years ago, it was Loyola Marymount for the WCC and ULV from the Big West before they moved over. So there's a nice little parallel there, there as well. I love the insight of Chris Dobertine. Again, follow him at Chris Dobertine, D-O-B-B-E-R-T-E-A-N, the SB Nation family of sites. His site is bloggingthebracket.com. He has got smoke coming out of the laptop right now with all the updates on the conference tournaments, his updated bracket, uh, who's in, who's out. Oh, did I say who's in, who's out? I believe I did. Let's do it officially here on the podcast. Who's in, in or out, out for the big dance in March? All right, uh, long awaited here, and this will not be the last time that he's asked these kind of questions about these certain teams. Here we go. We already talked about Utah State. We already talked about East Tennessee State. Give me a little uh, UCLA. Do you have them in or out after the two wins over the two Arizona teams this past weekend, Chris? UCLA is just in, but they're in as the Pac-12 leader. They're right on the cut line, so even if they didn't have that lead, they could still just barely be in. Six and six against Quad One now. You know, they swept Arizona. They swept Colorado. You know, obviously, you know, beating Arizona State helps out a little bit, too, because that's a top 50 win. A very interesting game for them coming up on Saturday afternoon. They, they go to USC. They only have to play one game, you know, to close out the Pac-12 season. Oregon, who's their competition for the number one from the Pac-12 tournament, still has two games. So they really have to take care of business against USC, who also swept the Arizona schools to get themselves in better position. I know a lot of people are now putting stock in the Pac-12. Most most of the bracket analysts have at least six, if not seven. At the moment, do you have seven Pac-12 teams in, yes. including UCLA? Yes, I have a Stanford and USC back in, too. So that's, that's at seven. Now the question is, how many of those teams are actually going to win more than one game? And, and, and they I can't all. That's, that's your point. Get, they can't yeah, all win yeah, more than I, one game right at the end here. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, Colorado seems to be fading Arizona State. You know, they're kind of dicey because of their earlier performances, but I think they're still going to be okay. Um, in terms of actually getting in the field, yeah, they're going to get seven teams in, but, you know, really it feels like probably only Oregon, if they can get a little more performance out of somebody who's not named Peyton Pritchard, mm-hmm. has the best shot at really kind of making noise. Otherwise, it's you know, it's going to kind of be like last year, only extended by having, you know, more than twice as many teams in the field. 
We keep uh, we keep talking about these different things, and I, I will continue to maintain this. The name on the front of the jersey does matter, and UCLA is a brand name, and I believe if it's mm-hmm. close, they're in. So, And they've done enough yep. at the end here to make them worthy of consideration besides the name on the front of the jersey, and that's what you have to do. So let's see how it plays out. Let's continue in or out. Uh, Texas Longhorns have helped themselves greatly at the time we are taping. They have Oklahoma on Tuesday night. You may know that result. Chris Dobertine and I don't know that result right now. But Texas having beaten Texas Tech on the weekend, going into the Oklahoma game, I'll qualify it. Are they in or do they really, really need that win to be in? They are just outside. They need that win over Oklahoma. You know, that would be a fifth quad one win since it'll be on the road against the top 50 opponent, top 75 opponent, you know, that'll give them another, you know, extra little push to get in there. And, and really, you know, at the moment, three of their four best wins are road games, Texas Tech and Purdue and Oklahoma state. Who's not really in the picture, you know, add that Oklahoma, if they can beat them on Tuesday night, that will be four of their best five mm. wins would be on the road. And they'd be six and five in true road games. That's a lot better than a lot of the other teams kind of on, you know, in the bubble picture uh, near the cut line. So I think that would be a major thing working in Texas's favor. So, and there's seven games over 500 right now. You know, really kind of the guideline is unless your schedule's really exceptional, you got to be four games over 500. They're they're gonna probably get there. So I think that. You know, right now they're not there, but if they beat Oklahoma, I think that next update they'll be in. And Texas, a lot like UCLA, winning at the end, leaving an impression against quality teams, because as you mentioned, if they get this one with Oklahoma, and again, you may know if the Sooners beat them by double digits. We don't know that right now yeah. uh, as we're taping. But if they beat Oklahoma, that's three of their last four wins at Kansas State, at Texas Tech, at Oklahoma. Hello, committee. They're looking at things like that. That will help them uh, greatly if that is the case. Uh, a couple of more. Purdue. You, you in passing mentioned Purdue. Uh, there's about 57 Big Ten teams that apparently are in the tournament. Is Purdue, <laughs> is Purdue in? Are they in right now or more to do, Chris? Purdue has more to do. Um, again, I kind of, you know, I mentioned that being four games over 500 is kind of the guideline right now. Purdue is one game over 500. So, you know, they have Iowa on Tuesday, which is a vital game for them because it's on the road. I guess the team they completely obliterated in West Lafayette. And then on Saturday, they have a very interesting game against Rutgers, mm. which is another squad that's kind of getting in position here where they need a win, especially on the road. So Purdue Purdue really has to win over Iowa and Rutgers and then get go two and one in the big 10 tournament to really have a shot because at that point they'll be four games over 500. And I think with their net being 35, you know, edging towards that top 30, I think they're going to end up sneaking in the field. Do you have Rutgers in right now, or does Rutgers need more, including maybe that Purdue win at Purdue and maybe a big 10 tournament win or two Has Rutgers done enough in or out. Rutgers needs to do a little more. I have them as one of the last four in at the moment because their profile is not nearly as good as you think. They're three and nine against quad one of mm. opposition. All mm. three of those wins came at home. They are one and eight in true road games. They have only beaten the only beaten Nebraska on the road, which that's not going to do it. Right. So really, they are going to West Lafayette on Saturday, needing a good quality road win. 
They're 34th in the net, so I think, you know, right now they're okay. If they beat Purdue on the road, they're going to definitely probably be near that top 30, and I think at that point they'll be safe. You know, they get Maryland on Tuesday, another home game. That's another quad one-win opportunity, but they, I really think they need to win a road game to really lock things up for uh And I know the Big Ten is tough. Hopes. I know the Big Ten is tough, but they've lost six of their last eight games going into that Maryland game Tuesday night. And again, you yep. may know the result here. Maybe they upset Maryland and Piscataway. If they did, take it with a grain of salt, what we're saying here, because that helps Rutgers greatly. So you may know that result. Again, we don't know that result as we're talking midweek in the preview mode. But if they lose to Maryland, let's say they lose decisively to Maryland, that is now seven losses in the last nine games headed to the Purdue game. That's not, I'm sorry, that's not something that the NCAA selection committee looks at and goes, yeah, that's a tournament team. That's something that they look at and say, I don't care how tough the Big Ten team is, you didn't win games down the stretch, you're not a tournament team. They need to win. They need to win. Well, they... They have taken the old last 10 game, last 12 game, you know, metric out and it's been out for a while, but there are a couple things on Rutgers, <laughs> on Rutgers side that they really have to be worried about. Besides that is the fact that they have quite a few opportunities. You're looking at their schedule at Maryland by five points at Ohio state by six at Wisconsin by eight and at Penn state by one. Those are their last four yep. road losses yep. or four. Uh, yeah. Last four road losses. If they had overturned any of those, they would be in much better shape right now at all such narrow margins, and that's something that Rutgers really could end up being kicking themselves if they find themselves in the NIT on Selection Sunday. Well, again, it, it comes down to, and we talk about this all the time, again, Chris Dobertine with me for a few more moments. It's College Basketball Coast to Coast here. Find the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. If you found us on a social media link through Chris's site, bloggingthebracket.com, social media link elsewhere, find the podcast, subscribe to the podcast. It's going to come to you many more times in the preview mode or uh, in the recap mode in and around Championship Week and the NCAA Tournament. Uh, you know, you made mention of, hey, they've done away with the last 10 uh, being something that they pay specific attention metrically to, but the human beings in that room are still debating yeah. whether or not you're mm-hmm. a team and they're still voting. And if you lose seven of last nine, eight of last 10, if they lose to Maryland and they lose at Purdue, that is now, by my math, am I correct? Nine of their last 11 games will have been yep. losses. Mm-hmm. It is very easy in the subjective process at at that point for uh, Kevin White to come out on behalf of the committee and say they had every opportunity to win a few games at the end and be in and they lost eight of the last 10 nine of their last 11 in the regular season that's why you're out so let's see what happens yeah, the, with Rutgers yeah and the record the record will do that itself because they're 17 11 right now they lose two more games they're 17 and 13 so right at that you know that that right. four wins over 500 mythical barrier. If they lose again in the Big Ten tournament, especially without a win, then they're three yeah. games over, and they're definitely going to be. And one more, and one that. more point. They were a darling earlier in January, and this is why you got to let it play out because all everybody was talking about, including me, was man, Rutgers is going to be in for the first time since 1991, and North yeah. Carolina's not going to be in this tournament, and UCLA's not going to be in this tournament. Well, now it looks like UCLA may be in, and this is why you play the games because it looks like Rutgers may be out. Uh, depending on yeah. 
on what happens here. I know that we're picking on them. Don't don't be so mad at Chris. I, I'm more the one that's picking on Rutgers right now and the losing <laughs> at the end of the season. Uh, all right. I, I think uh, well, Wichita State is the other one. Right now, Wichita State with a 24-point comeback on the road Sunday. I know SMU is not an at-large tournament team, but they still came from behind. They won by 24. Uh, SMU uh, quality, not great, but they still got the win on the road. Wichita State. Wichita State with a couple of good wins in the conference. Still some work to do. Do you have them in as a third American conference team? The Shockers, Chris. I have them as the very last team in right now. And really, I mean, their best two wins at this point are Oklahoma at home, which, yeah, that's looking fine. Oklahoma State, not so much. Their two quad one wins are Oklahoma State and UConn, who are not tournament teams, not tournament teams at all. They have a win over VCU, who's not a tournament team at this point. South Carolina, same thing. They have a lot of wins over teams that are close, but not quite there. You know, their failure to, to beat Houston or Cincinnati really hurts them. And I think if they don't end up making some noise, there are enough teams behind them that still have opportunities to pick up quality wins that the Shockers don't have. If they don't make noise in the American tournament in Fort Worth next week, I don't think the Shockers are going to end up in the field when all is said and done. Ooh, and again, it may not just be your resume like you're pointing out. It's who's doing what around you. Now, they could end up against my alma mater Thursday night beating Memphis at Memphis, uh, and that would be a sweep of them. And uh, then they play Tulsa, uh, who right now is vying for the regular season title in the final regular season game. And then let's see who they draw, whether it's Houston, Cincinnati, Memphis again, Tulsa again, in a a couple of the games of the conference tournament. But right now, you have the Shockers barely in. So we encourage you to stay locked in, bloggingthebracket.com is the site constantly being updated. Uh, Just keep hitting refresh, right, Chris, over and over and over again to see what's there. One of the great features, I I plug this uh, whenever I get the chance, is you've got all the conference tournament schedules laid out, where they're being played and when, and people need to be aware this week that some of them are being played right now, Chris, right? Follow that up. Yep, 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 yep. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, everything kind of gets going. Uh, We have Conference Tournament Central, which that – that has everything that will have every bracket. It will have links to every bracket, every score, every piece of TV info you need. Um, and then I'll have individual pages kind of for each conference kind of with that same information along with breakdowns of who did what in terms of season series and, you know, when teams last made the NCAA tournament. So you kind of had that background, kind of the basic information you need for each tournament. I'll have that as well. From the A-Sun to the Mountain West – from the Big East to the Big West, the Big 12 to the ACC. He's got it all at bloggingthebracket.com. Follow him at Chris Dobertine, D-O-B-B-E-R-T-E-A-N. I always love the insight. Buckle up because we're ready for more of the championship games, more of the madness and the mayhem as we go along on college basketball coast to coast. I'm glad you're along for the ride. Chris, thank you. Thank you, PJ. There he goes. Love Chris Dobertine's insight and work. Keep uh, keep it locked in on bloggingthebracket.com. Following him as well at bloggingthebracket or also at Chris Dobertine, D-O-B-B-E-R-T-E-A-N. Love his work on the bracket. Thanks also to Mark Wise working LSU and Arkansas Wednesday night on the SEC Network. He's got South Carolina and Vandy to close out the season on the weekend before we start working a bunch of conference tournament championship games. Also, thanks to Dan Leach, 97 won the ticket in Detroit, the all-sports station there, for being on the show. Great insight from the guest. 
predictions, analysis of everything that's going to unfold. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Again, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find them. And the next edition will come automatically to you. It will be championship weekend this weekend and then championship week next week. NCAA Tournament and Selection Sunday is now uh, within our grasp. A week from Sunday, uh, the field of 68 is set, including those 36 at-large teams. Let's find out what happens with those. For now, we're done. I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with me on the nation's college basketball show and podcast. It is college basketball coast to coast.